0: Hello, friends, and thanks for tuning in to today's episode. This is my book review podcast, Unknown Friends, and I am Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions. This week, we are on our 26th episode, and I am reviewing a book I've wanted to read for years, and only just recently got the opportunity to read. Orson Scott Card's 1985 science fiction novel, Ender's Game. Now, this is the second properly sci-fi novel I've reviewed so far on the podcast. Um, The first being The Space Merchants in episode 19. And I will say I enjoyed Ender's Game more. Um, If you listened to my Space Merchants review, you may remember I thought that book was interesting and contained some thought-provoking ideas, some true ideas. But I thought it struggled in the plot and character development departments. Uh, The story sort of got less and less coherent as the book went on, and it felt forced at the end. Um, And the writing didn't really draw me in to the characters very deeply. Ender's Game, on the other hand, I found to be much more compelling and cohesive as a story, and its main character was very well developed and deeply sympathetic. Um, And on top of that, it's exploring fascinating ideas and themes at the same time. Now, I don't entirely know what to make of some of its themes, but there is certainly lots to take away from this book and um, think about for a while. So, today I want to do something a little different than normal and dive right into the story and characters themselves, and then come back later and talk a bit about the author himself, Orson Scott Card. Um, and how he developed this particular story. I listened to an audiobook version of Ender's Game, and the last segment after the novel itself was finished was actually a recording, uh, maybe an hour long of Orson Scott Card discussing the origins of the story in his mind and how it grew and materialized into this book it eventually became. So that background was fascinating right after having read the book itself. Uh, or listened to it. And so I want to share some of the things I learned from him with you. Um, but after I introduce you to the plot line and give you an idea of the main characters. So without further ado, Ender's game published, like I said, in 1985, and classified in the specific genre of military science fiction. From that classification, though, what you likely don't expect is that this is a book about young kids. The main character is six years old when the book begins, uh, and the story chronicles his life for the next few years. His name is Ender, um, or Andrew properly, Andrew Wiggin, but he always goes by Ender, and he has been born into a future Earth far, far advanced in technology and in space travel beyond where we are today. This future Earth is at risk of overpopulation, and so families are limited to having only two children, except in rare cases when a third is allowed by the government for special reasons. And Ender is one of those third children. He has two older siblings, a brother, Peter, and sister, Valentine. But overpopulation is not the only threat. There's also an alien species out there in the universe, which um, at the time of the novel, human beings have already battled twice when the aliens attempted to invade Earth. And currently, when the book Ender's Game opens, humans are expecting and trying to prepare for a third invasion. Now, these aliens are technically called formics, but their common name among humans is rather unfortunately, buggers, which in my opinion sounds a little childish and not very threatening. Uh, But there you have it. Uh, (laughs) The buggers are coming. The buggers are coming. Yeah. Anyhow, despite the name, people are seriously afraid of these aliens. and. Uh, Since the second invasion, several decades earlier, Earth has been preparing both in technology and um, human resources to fight the buggers again for a third and hopefully final time. So they've got lots of spaceships built, and they even learned some things from the aliens themselves from the, the previous two fights. And so they're hoping they now have an edge in terms of weaponry and equipment. The humans know, however, that they will be hopelessly outnumbered by the aliens. And so what they're pinning their hopes of victory on is having a uh, master commander of the human army and its fleet of starships. Uh, Back in the second invasion, they had a brilliant leader named Mazur Rackham, whose insight and strategic thinking and leadership won them that battle. But that was decades ago, and the humans now need a new leader, and so they're trying to find one. But to find the right person and create the commander they need, they have to be able to train this leader from as young an age as possible. Um, so for years now, Earth's um, army, the International Army, has been selecting promising kids from all around the globe to train in battle school. And they're hoping to identify the very best one among these kids and raise him to be the new commander that can lead the army against the anticipated third invasion by the aliens. So this, as you might expect, is where Ender comes in. At six years old, he is selected for various reasons as one of the new recruits to attend battle school. And behind the scenes, we soon learn from the battle school um, administrators, those who have selected Ender, that they think he, more than any other child they've seen, is a possible candidate for eventually becoming the army commander. He is just ridiculously brilliant, Uh, as are his two older siblings as well. Uh, There's something, something in that gene pool, but whereas his brother Peter is brilliant and ruthlessly cruel, um, and his sister Valentine is brilliant, but very tender and compassionate, Ender is a kind of blend or balance between the two. He can be ruthless when that's required of him, more on that um, in a minute, but he also has a strong capacity for empathy. So the battle school leaders see Ender's balance of ruthlessness and empathy as exactly what they need, if he can develop that and uh, live up to his potential. So at age six, Ender is taken away from his family, um, taken away from Earth, actually, to battle school, which is uh, a space station orbiting Earth. There are several hundred students there, aged um, six to 14, and the students receive sort of traditional Classroom education in certain subjects, especially math and science, but everything is kind of military geared. Um, And there are, you know, options for personal combat training, um, battle strategy training, military history, those kinds of subjects. There are also various uh, video games. Um, that the students practice with, essentially, simulated space battles where they're um, competing against the computer and can practice military tactics and things that way. But the most unique thing, and really the focus of battle school, is what the students simply call the game. Each student gets assigned to one of several school armies, each made up of 40 kids, and these Um, child armies regularly compete against each other in what is essentially glorified laser tag. Not kidding. So the kids have um, what you could call laser guns, although they know them as flash pistols, and they wear flash suits, which have certain target areas that can sense um, a hit, so to speak, from an enemy flash pistol. Anyway, so the game is basically laser tag, but in zero gravity. So humans have learned how to manipulate gravity. And in the battle school, they've created special battle rooms, which like outer space have essentially no gravity. And so the students float and have to learn how to control their movement or lack thereof by using walls and objects around them and each other um, to propel themselves and navigate while they fight. So there's a lot of strategy involved in this game. And personally, I would say I found that to be the coolest part of the story. Just the accounts of how these kids, well, Ender mostly, um, learn to adapt to this battle game and the rules it follows. And they really have to think outside the box to come up with the most effective ways to defeat the opposing army while maneuvering in zero gravity. And Orson Scott Card goes um, in-depth into the rules of the game and just the the physical repercussions of no gravity. And you get to watch over and over as Ender's um, brilliant mind comes up with creative tactics to help his army win the game. So a lot of the novel takes place in battle school from the time Ender is six To, I think, 10, but eventually we move to the next stage of Ender's training, which is command school. And there he's doing no more battle room games, just um, simulator military games, him versus the computer, until the final test and his overseers decide whether he has lived up to the potential they saw in him um, as a six year old. And I'm not going to go any more into that because I don't want to spoil anything. By the way, though, side note, so there is a movie version of Ender's Game, which I have not seen, but I've looked into it a little and I learned something interesting. So in the book, there is one of those um, twists at the end, plot twists, which surprises you and then kind of helps explain a lot of the things that had happened throughout the book. Well, in the film, I learned that this twist is actually revealed early on. Uh, and instead of getting the shock value of it coming at the end, you get the suspense of knowing what's going on the whole time and and knowing more than the characters know. So, I mean, I don't want to reveal the twist to you, and I'm not going to. I, I can see pros and cons of either uh, a storytelling approach. But I just think it's interesting that the film took a different angle than the book did. And so if you want to experience the book with its twist, just don't watch the movie first or even read anything about it because it it gives the twist away. So for what that's worth, just a, just a heads up. Anyway, back to the book. So I have said the strategy of the game the students play at battle school was something I especially enjoyed. Uh, and I did find it just fascinating. Um, the author really allows Ender to prove himself to the reader by demonstrating again and again in detail how innovative he is and how good he is at understanding uh, not just practical things, but also how an opponent thinks. And that's what sets him apart from all the other students because, as you can guess, although all the students at Battle School are gifted um, and have been specially chosen to enroll in this strenuous training. Ender is above and beyond them all. He's just extraordinarily intelligent and skillful. He's, he's a prodigy, a military genius. And those two sides of his genius, ruthlessness and empathy, are what combine to make him so effective. His ruthlessness motivates him to win every game he plays at any cost, and his empathy Uh, his, his ability to understand and predict his opponent's behavior, that enables him to win every game he plays. But what we get into in the course of all this are some tricky moral questions, especially regarding violence. So Ender is put into multiple situations where he is expected to be ruthless, to be even physically violent. And Though he has the ability, and and of course the desire, not to lose, yet he has empathy. He does not enjoy hurting others. But he's repeatedly placed in situations where he feels he has no other choice but to hurt another person. Badly. We're talking beating people up. Other kids. Orson Scott Card insists Ender's Game does not contain vivid descriptions of violence, um and I'm sure there could be more vivid descriptions but I say his are vivid enough. There were some cringe moments for me as I was reading. It's it's not pretty. But Ender has this moral dilemma time and time again. He's he's always acting basically in self-defense. He never picks fights. But when he defends himself, he does it very thoroughly. <laughs> And so he is constantly faced with this, um, self doubt. Am I going too far? Am I, am I a monster? I have this capacity for violence, for winning in every situation, no matter the odds. And winning is expected, demanded of me. And yet I don't want to hurt people. So that's, that's complex. Um, and it's hard, it's hard to determine what is Ender's fault and what isn't, uh, how much choice he has in different situations. And you certainly feel for him. He, he has this deep fear of becoming like his older brother, Peter, who I mentioned, who is ruthless and cruel. He enjoys hurting others. He has no empathy. And Ender is haunted by this fear of becoming Peter. The more he's pushed to be um, a ruthless, strategist. And I don't really have a conclusion here because you have to read the book to follow all the the subtle details and understand how each situation is set up because there's no easy, clear-cut answer to this ethical question. Self-defense is justifiable, right? But how far do you go? I almost think this novel got into deeper questions than the author quite knew what to do with. I I could be wrong. Ender's Game has several sequels, which I haven't read, so perhaps some of the answers become clearer later on. But in this novel on its own, I felt like some of the moral issues weren't fully resolved. This question of violence, how much is justifiable, Um, And how long you can engage in violence, whether willingly or forced, without it corrupting you internally. This issue not only involves Ender, but it also gets explored a bit through his siblings, Peter and Valentine. Um, We don't spend much time with them in the book, but we do get some glimpses of what they're doing back on Earth while Ender's in battle school. Uh, And it's kind of scary. Peter, particularly. He has a perverse affinity to violence, to making others suffer. He's only a kid, but he is sadistic. It's it's disturbing. And the relationship between him and his sister Valentine is strange and develops in strange ways. They both change as time goes on. I won't say exactly how, but I felt like the author set certain things in motion inside these two characters that were never really resolved in the novel. Um, I, I didn't buy the ways they each developed morally. Uh, again, I, I can't really go into that without revealing too much, but it's it's just one of those instances where I almost wonder if Orson Scott Card got in over his head. I don't know. Maybe Maybe the later books make sense of everything. Here's where, however, the background of this novel and the author's approach to it might help explain one or two things. So very quickly about Orson Scott Card, he's a contemporary American writer born in 1951. He is a Mormon, and he's currently quite controversial because of some of his uh, religious and political views, which I will not touch on today. Um, he started out as a playwright and eventually got into science fiction and has written a lot of novels, short stories, plays, and more. Now, Ender's Game actually started as a short story, um, a long short story, perhaps a novella, published in 1977, and it was pretty successful. And then 10 years later, Orson Scott Card was writing a novel called Speaker for the Dead, when he realized that his character, Ender Wiggin, really made sense as the hero of this new novel he was writing. And so he framed Speaker for the Dead as a sequel to Ender's Game and developed Ender's Game itself into a more fully fleshed out novel, expanding and deepening it to serve as sort of setup for Speaker for the Dead. And it sounds to me like some of the moral questions in the book came to the forefront in this process. Ender's siblings, Peter and Valentine, weren't characters at all in the original short story, um, and the ending of the novel wasn't in the original either. So lots changed in that development of the story into a book. And some things, uh, especially I think the very ending, felt like, out of out of left field just a little bit. I mean, it's not at all like The Space Merchants, where the story just kind of <laughs> disintegrates over time. Um, Ender's Game is definitely cohesive. But it certainly makes sense to me that there was a core of a story that was expanded upon later, and you get some new twists and new elements added that I'm not totally sure what to do with. Anyway, I'm sorry, I I feel like I, like the space merchants, have disintegrated uh, into rambling. Ender's Game is just tricky to talk much about because, uh, number one, I don't want to spoil the book's plot twists, and number two, so much happens in details, in the strategies of the battle game, and in the psychology of Ender's own mind, that it's difficult to communicate the experience of the novel. You you kind of have to experience it yourself. So, on that note, do I recommend this book? Yes, with reservations. I found it highly intriguing. I think think boys would love the military slash strategic aspects of it, and I'm sure plenty of girls would too, since I did. I found the book's Ethical questions and psychological exploration, very thought-provoking. And I couldn't even touch today on on some of the moral issues this book explores, but there are several. I don't agree with all of the author's conclusions, um, and I'm not even sure what some of his conclusions were, but his questions and insights were interesting. But then my other reservations are these. There is some violence, as I've said. Card claims it's not graphic, uh, but I certainly did not find those passages pleasant to read. And then lastly, there is what I thought was a lot of a language in the book. Not profane language per se, but just lots of crudity. Uh, Something unexpected that Orson Scott Card said in his authors afterward was that the story originally had a lot of foul language, but he realized that it was about kids and that he wanted his own kids to read the book. So he said he decided to clean up the language for kids. And I read that and I was like, you cleaned up the language? <laughs> okay, well, we have different views on language. So yeah, that was odd. Um, he He said that he took out the profanity and just left in the middle school terminology and humor because he said he couldn't write a book about kids without including that. So I don't know. I found the language to be distasteful personally, but apparently my problem is that I'm not a middle schooler. Be that as it may, there is my mixed recommendation. I'm glad I read the book, but I would not want to read a ton of books like it. So I'm sorry some of the things I've said about it have been a bit vague in order to keep the novel's secrets secret, but I do hope this review has helped give you at least a sense of the book's storyline and some of its themes. So to close out this episode, let's look ahead quickly to episode 27 coming next week. I plan to review another book I've wanted to read for a long time, but didn't take the opportunity to read until this fall. And that book is Hannah Coulter by Wendell Berry, published in 2004. I've heard about Wendell Berry for a long time. Lots of good things. He has a ton of fans at my alma mater, Hillsdale College. And I've read a few poems and things by him, but this was my first time reading one of his novels. I enjoyed Hannah Coulter. I think it has a lot of value to share. Um, But I also have a question or two I want to raise about it. So tune in next week if you're interested in getting my thoughts on Wendell Berry's Hannah Coulter. I'll see you next Wednesday.